0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Blanchard Valley Health System's Dr. Bill Coase gives the latest on the local coronavirus vaccine rollout, the race against new variants, and the effectiveness of updated guidance to help slow the spread. Also this morning, Super Bowl Sunday right around the corner. It's usually a big day for bars and restaurants, But this year, it's just another hit to an already devastated industry. How you can show your support for some of the local entrepreneurs and workers who are struggling the most. And the annual Cancer Patient Services Chili Cook-Off has gone virtual for its 25th anniversary, but the competition is still as hot as ever. We'll get the details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, February 4th, 2021.
1: WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for cloudy skies today and a high of 37. A snow rain mix tonight, a low of 21. Governor Mike DeWine wants all police officers in Ohio to wear a body camera.
2: My goal is every police officer in the state of Ohio to have a body camera. I think it protects police. It protects the public. It's good to have that transparency.
1: The governor is proposing using a $10 million grant to buy body cameras for law enforcement agencies across Ohio. He says about 180 of the state's 900 law enforcement agencies currently have body cameras, which were recommended by a state advisory board. Meantime, former Columbus police officer Adam Coy has been indicted for murder in connection with the shooting death of Andre Hill in December. Hill was shot by Coy as officers were responding to a non-emergency call about a noise complaint. Coy did not turn on his body camera until after he fired shots at Hill, but his camera automatically activated and recorded uh, recorded about 60 seconds of the incident. Get more on our website. The number of active COVID cases in Hancock County went down again. The latest numbers released by Hancock Public Health show that there are 152 active cases in the county. That's a drop of six from a week ago. Six people are currently hospitalized with the virus in Hancock County, a drop of one from a week earlier. Two more Hancock County residents died from the virus over the past week and the death toll now stands at 94 in the county. Statewide, more than 906,000 people have had the virus and 11,430 have died from it. The Humane Society and SPCA of Hancock County has received a big donation of pet food. Hancock County dog warden Dana Berger says the West Ohio Food Bank dropped off two truckloads of pet food. It's, uh, it's going to allow us to help quite a few people here in Hancock County and um, so, if anybody needs it, you know, all they got to do is give us a call. And... As he mentioned, people should give the Humane Society a call to set up a time to stop by and pick up some of that pet food. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 955 FM.
0: In addition to Bubblegum Day today and Give Kids a Smile Day, it is also National Chocolate Fondue Day. National Shower with a Friend Day. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a uh, an occurrence that I would want to necessarily observe. National Shower with a Friend Day. But I'll put it out there because it's on the list. It is National, uh, National Wear Red Day today, which encourages people to wear red to raise awareness about women's heart health and cardiovascular disease in general. February is heart health heart heart health month and so this kind of ties into that we're red day today national weather persons day again in the forecast I'm not seeing a whole lot worth celebrating but I, this is this is more celebrating the individuals who diligently bring us the weather information day after day whether it's good news or bad news uh, sometimes we like to kill the messenger but uh, it is National Weather Persons Day today. Today is Disaster Day. Again, I'm not sure that we would call that a celebration, more so an observance to remember some of the great disasters in history, uh, basically to keep them from happening again. Is, you you want to make sure that these things... And maybe this has something to do with the fact that it is Disaster Day. It is also National Fart Day. So, just in the interest of completeness, I want to bring that up. A number of uh, interesting stories off the uh, Newswire to start things off this morning. NASA is asking for your help. They want to discover a way to feed astronauts more efficiently in deep space. So they have launched the Deep Space Food Challenge, aiming to serve up food technologies or systems that require minimal input and maximize safe, nutritious, and palatable food outputs for long-duration space missions. So, again, the criteria has to be safe, has to be nutritious, has to be palatable, and uh, require minimal input. Because you know, the astronauts don't have time to slave over a hot stove, they've got important things to do out there in space. Um, the technology should also not take up a lot of space, not weigh too much. Now, you might think that not weigh too much is in outer space. It doesn't weigh anything. There's no gravity. But if it weighs too much, It adds to the payload, which will throw the trajectory off uh, during re-entry or during launch. I mean, they're going to have so much weight uh, on board the spacecraft. So out in outer space, maybe not such a big deal, but it is a big deal uh, getting to and coming from space. Uh, It also obviously should uh, not produce uh, very much waste. It should minimize waste because it's not like they have a uh, trash collection in outer space and the food's it produces should take very little processing time as little processing time as possible the uh, deep food space challenge website uh adds that the technology should be designed to feed a crew up to 4 astronauts over the course of a 3 year period so as <laughs> you're coming up with these recipes Keep in mind, they got to last <laughs> for a while. Uh, those who wish to enter can do so until May 28th. NASA will award $25,000 to up to 20 teams that come up with the best ideas. So that seems like an awful lot of work for $25,000. Uh, I'm thinking they may need to up, to, up that uh, reward. Uh, because that seems like a, an awful lot of work for only $25,000. I mean, they've got some very smart, very high-paid people at NASA. If they can't come up with it, what makes you think that <laughs> ordinary people are going to be able to for a mere 25 I don't know. But. Uh, speaking of food, here is some good news. Well, maybe it's good news. I don't know. This is one of those things that creates very strong reactions whenever we bring it up. Uh, Peeps is back in production. Peeps are back. Uh, just in time... For the Easter holiday, which is coming up here, not all that, not all that uh, far away, uh, Peeps are back in production following a nine-month pause. Just Born Quality Confections made the announcement yesterday, and they also announced that they are adding a couple of new flavors based on the hot tamales candy and the Fruit Loops breakfast cereal. Now. I, I love a good marshmallow peep as much as the next guy. But a hot tamale peep just does not sound <laughs> that does not interest me whatsoever. Um But there you go. The uh for that matter, Fruit Loops flavored peeps, I don't know, that's that's not such a, a bad thing, I guess, because I mean normally they have Uh, Very sweet flavors. They're marshmallow, after all. They're sugar-covered marshmallows, so they're going to be sweet. So I'm not sure that the uh, Fruit Loops is any big deal, but Hot Tamales, Peeps. Mmm, no thank you. Uh, The uh, candy maker tells CNN that it had temporarily stopped making Peeps back in April uh, in order to keep its employees safe during the pandemic. So if you have been missing your Peeps, they will be back in time for Easter. Good news there. Uh, National Weather Service has issued another falling iguana warning for the state of Florida. It is going to be incredibly cold this weekend. If you've been following this forecast, this weekend they're talking about temperatures, high temperatures for us. High temperatures in the teens, lows at or below zero. And that's before we factor in any wind chill or anything like that. But it's not just us. It is virtually every state... In the country, uh, continental U.S. I don't know about Hawaii out there in the middle of the Pacific, but for the continental United States, every U.S. state is going to be below normal temperature-wise this weekend. And the National Weather Service has issued another falling iguana warning for South Florida as cold temperatures move in. Iguanas sitting in the trees can be stunned by the cold weather and then fall to the ground unexpectedly. They're not dead. They're just paralyzed. Officials say the iguanas will eventually warm up in the morning sun and fully recover. And they advise people do not touch the animals even when they are immobilized or try to move them from where they fall. Best to just leave them there and let them recover on their own. So another falling iguana warning in Florida. Those are always fun. I I always love bringing that up when we the falling iguana. Falling iguana warning, because I can just see the the people there, the National Weather Service typing that into the system, you know, uh, the falling iguana warning, and say, this is not what I signed up for when I went to meteorology school. This is not what I-. a Wisconsin woman. Good news here, a Wisconsin woman finally spending time with her newborn child, uh, nearly three months after giving birth while in a coma. Kelly Townsend was placed in a medically induced coma back in October. After being hospitalized with COVID-19 while she was nine months pregnant, her baby tested negative for the coronavirus. They wanted to keep it that way. The 32-year-old was recently discharged from the hospital and is now home with her husband and four children. Baby Lucy is uh, doing fine. She was able to uh, finally hold her newborn child for the first time uh, after three months. That's that's pretty cool. Um couple of other uh, interesting uh, news items here among the first things you need to know. Uh, the first 3D printed house in the nation is now up for sale. Uh, it is in New York State. I'm not sure exactly where. Listed at roughly $300,000. A company built each piece of the 1,400 square foot home uh, using concrete. They say it's stronger and more durable than a typical wood frame construction. Um, but it was it was printed uh, like a 3D printer using concrete, though. Not uh, plastic stuff, it's concrete. A video of the entire process was chronicled on YouTube. The company's ultimate goal is to make even more homes using this 3D printing technology to bring down the cost of home ownership. I'm not sure how much they're bringing it down. It's a 1,400-foot home listed for $300,000. That's doesn't sound like affordable housing to me, but what do I know? And uh, finally, uh, this is a crazy story. A woman in Minnesota is searching for her missing wedding dress 14 years after getting married. Wendy Taylor sent her wedding dress off to have it cleaned and professionally preserved back in 2006 following her wedding. A lot of brides do that, but she got the box back and she never opened it until she decided to show her 12-year-old daughter the dress recently. When she opened the box, she discovered she'd received the wrong wedding gown. So now she is working with the company that uh, preserved the dress to figure out who might have her dress by mistake. She has also started her own search for the missing gown via social media. So keep an keep an eye out for missing a wedding dress. That would be that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? I hope she is able to find it. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting, most buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started.
3: This is Dr. Mashika Roberts, Columbus Health Commissioner. The pandemic is more than a physical health issue. As parents, it's important to remember that our children are also coping with drastic life changes. One in four teens misuse a prescription drug at least once in their lifetime. We must talk to our kids about healthy coping strategies and the dangers of prescription drug misuse. Visit DontLiveInDenial.org to learn how to dispose of your leftover pills and talk to your kids about opiates.
0: Of course, one of the big news stories of the past several weeks has been the somewhat disjointed rollout of the coronavirus vaccine across the country. And obviously, uh, the, the media will uh, focus on uh, the uh, issues that there have been uh, on the rollout, and, and that will get uh, an awful lot of uh, media attention, uh, which is uh, to be expected, I suppose. And there have been issues I want to talk a little bit about where, where we stand with our local rollout here. And uh, Dr. Bill Coe's Blanchard Valley Health System is on the line with us this morning. How would you describe the rollout here locally? Has it been has it been fairly smooth? Has have there been any hiccups? Uh, you know, where do we stand here locally with this?
4: Well, Chris, first. Uh... Thanks for giving me the opportunity to respond to that, because we do get a lot of questions, a lot of calls. Uh, I think, in fairness to the public, just in general, as you said, that they're, what they see in the national media, what's going on in the state of Ohio, uh, clouds what people are thinking. Mm-hmm. The first point I would make is that the the real problem, from our standpoint, is we don't have enough vaccine. And that it again it's understandable. This was done at warp speed. Um it takes a while to produce this. Obviously you have to have good quality. There isn't any question about that. Mm. But it, it you still need to have the vaccine. So what we did early on, uh we could see what was going on. When I say we, uh public health has been involved, the mayor's been involved, uh commissioners have been on, we tried to set up something for Hancock County from the health system standpoint we also take care of individuals that are outside of the system but primarily we've concentrated on hancock county and set up a plan about how we were going to do it And basically public health is responsible for collecting the individuals that want to get the vaccine and putting them on a list and then calling them to schedule and i think one of the frustrations of everyone is that um, well, gee, I'd sure like to have an appointment. I'd like to know, I'd, am I going to be able to get my shot? Am I still on the list? Well, the problem is we don't find out until a few days before whether how much vaccine. So yeah. next week we're going to get, I think, 400 shots again. Um, and then the second part of that is we have here at the healthcare system used the hospital as a place where we are going to give the vaccine. And I think once... People are, that they know they have an appointment, and when they come, uh, it's worked out really well. I mean, we've had lots of compliments. We decided to do it at the hospital rather than someplace else in case there were anaphylactoid or emergency problems with the shots. We Mm -hmm. haven't seen any of those. Individuals have appointments. We're giving, I think, 400 doses today, starting at 730. The team's going to be there. We'll be working through the day. Uh, most of the time I was talking to somebody yesterday, the longest anybody's had to wait 40, 45 minutes. Usually it's about half an hour by the time you get there, get checked in, fill out all the paperwork, which we're required to do. You Mm -hmm. get your shot. We have to wait 15 minutes to make sure that you haven't had a reaction and then you're good to go. So once we can get the funnel down to being here, I think it's worked out pretty well. So but the, again, there's all this other frustration.
0: Yes. Yeah, so the, it sounds like the, the biggest shortcoming or the biggest uh, uh, impediment that you are, are dealing with, as you mentioned, not enough uh, vaccine, not being able to get as much as you would like, and uh, the distribution at, uh, I guess, the wholesale level, for lack of a better term.
4: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I understand the state. Uh, the, I mean, there are problems, and and everybody. There's all kinds of groups that think at want. I mean, I, I, without saying that, and I understand that groups. Well, I think I should have been first in line, or mm, I need to sure. get my shot. I'm a front line person working somewhere. Right, school teachers, healthcare workers, over the age of 80, all of those different groups. State had to make distribution plans. We're trying to follow the rules. Uh, I think we've. Uh, streamlined it one of the things we decided to do early on here with public health is we weren't going to charge to do that now the, the, the vaccine is free but we could be using insurance and billing medicare and the only reason i bring that up that would have just taken more time getting more information and we're doing this as community yeah. benefit we need to get everybody vaccinated the more shots in the arms the faster the better but we do have a plan uh i'll get a call pretty regularly, why don't you just go out to the Kaler Center or go out to the fairgrounds and do them all at once? We have a plan. We could give 7500 in a weekend with the staff we've got right now. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's people would volunteer. We just know 400 doses are not 7500 yeah
0: you've got to uh, have it to be able to to distribute it exactly what about the what about the willingness of uh, individuals uh, to get the vaccine when their turn comes up or when they uh, are next up on the list have you seen any uh, apprehension uh, on on the part of those uh, whether they are willing to get the uh, vaccine
4: Uh, great question and I think uh, because of, of what people have seen I would go back, I was just talking to this to one of the nurses when I was making rounds this morning, that the data that came out of the trials said that 50% of people were going to have reactions, not not necessarily something bad, but they were going to be tired, they may run a fever, they have general aching, that's pretty high. I can say, well, that means that stuff must be working, Uh, the vaccine is working, but people had heard that. Um, What we're seeing, and the data is coming out, if you've had COVID, you're probably going to have more of a reaction. We've had several physicians and nurses that have missed work the next day. Generally, it lasts a day into the second day, and that is real that that occurs. Uh, We haven't seen too much problem with the first dose, but the individuals that have gotten the second dose have also had some of those symptoms. So Mm. there's apprehension that way. But the big problem of like i said anaphylaxis or that we have not seen now, i i've had both of my shots i didn't even know i got either one of them um i hope i got a real vaccine I, think I did. <laughs> I'm laughing when i say that yeah. but i didn't but there are significant number of people so there is there is apprehension but overall uh individuals are more they they want to get the vaccine they mild reaction so people are coming to their appointments yeah and it's it's much more that way than let's say concern. Yeah, mild... and the ones that are concerned, they don't they don't need to get it. It's not mandatory, and I just don't think they're talking about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mild reactions, certainly uh, less of a concern than uh, the possibility of getting the virus and some of the uh, serious complications from that that we uh, most definitely have seen. And the reason we're going to bring up the, the speed with which you can get the vaccine and get it into people's arms, the willingness of people to get vaccinated when their turn comes up, is because from what we are hearing it is a bit of a race against time with respect to the variants uh, that are that are coming out the sooner we can get uh, people vaccinated the longer or the more we can slow down these variants of the uh, vaccine which may be more virulent and uh, in, in some cases possibly even more dangerous how big of a concern is that this race against these new variants
4: Well, certainly from a theoretical standpoint in what you want to do, what you said is exactly right. I think everyone is concerned about that. It would appear that the vaccines that are now being developed, including the Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, the things that are going to be coming on the market, are effective. Maybe not as effective as for the original one that they were uh, developed for, Mm -hmm. but they, they do have good effect. But the big point is what you said is, well, just commonsensically, I have the virus, I can pass it on to somebody else where it could mutate into something else, the Ohio, the Ohio variety or something like that. If I don't have the virus to pass it on, it can't go somewhere else and mutate. And so it, it makes really good sense to say the faster we can get everybody vaccinated just so some, nobody has an infection that can mutate makes great sense. And the theoreticians, Dr. Fauci, people are talking about that. That is as much what they're concerned about as anything. We, we may s- see other mutants.
0: Yeah, we're still on track to uh, open this up to the general public uh, by uh, the, the spring, late spring, maybe early summer?
4: Yeah, I think so uh, from a from a standpoint. Now, we're on this we're supposed to be, not supposed to be, but this week would have been we would start doing above 70. We're still given to the above 80 because we didn't have enough vaccine. But I think by that time and then the, the doses that are coming in, I don't know that they're any more effective, but this one dose will make it a lot simpler And that's going, apparently, that they'll be able to be manufactured at a higher amount. And so when you say into late spring, this is going to be happening in March, but I think by that time, it's going to be pretty much freely available that anyone who wants to be able to get it. I certainly hope so. That's what we're planning on. I do think... Um, that one of the things we're not seeing as many cases, and I think with people who haven't had COVID, their own antibodies, and even the vaccinations that have been given, one shot after three weeks gives you maybe 70% Immunity that—that's just again reducing the number of people that can be passing it on.
0: You're talking, of course, about the uh, Johnson Johnson vaccine, which is a single dose of vaccination. Also, doesn't have to be stored uh, at those uh, super low temperatures, makes distribution much easier uh, as well. Real quickly, exactly. uh, in, in the uh, last minute or so that we have, want to talk about some of the uh, latest guidance, updated guidance. This obviously continues to change as we learn more about it. We have these uh, additional, possibly more virulent strains. Uh, of the uh, uh, of the virus uh, that are uh, starting to be seen in more and more locations, and so there has been guidance that maybe uh, people need to double mask when they go out. Is that something that that you would recognize? Does it really uh, make that big of a difference to double mask over properly masking up?
4: That's a well. First, it's it's a good question. I think. From what we have discussed here, and that has been something we've been asked about and we've looked into, we have not asked or required anyone to double mask. Mm -hmm. I I guess you could say, Chris, I I can argue it both ways. Well, if you put on three masks, that would be better. From a standpoint of the improvement of having a good mask that you're wearing to another mask, on top of that um, I think it's probably fairly negligible. Now, if somebody wants to do it, that's fine. I think the biggest concern about masks, I would say, is a lot of people are reusing masks, carrying around masks, whatever it is. And, and likewise, if it's a cloth mask, which the, the, the ones that are more for surgery and things like that are better, the filters, but a cloth mask is helpful but it needs to be washed frequently. It's not something that you should keep. So we are not recommending here to our associates. Uh, we're not using N95s. We have no empirical data, and I haven't seen anybody publish anything that double masking or using things like that if you wash your hands, social distance, take care of yourself, et cetera that it makes that much difference.
0: We will leave it there. Again, uh, Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System, with us this morning, the latest on the uh, virus and the vaccine rollout. Dr. Coase, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it, as always. Thank
4: you for giving me the opportunity, Chris. Always nice to talk to you.
0: Once again, this year, of course, we are your official radio home for Super Bowl 55. Coverage begins on Sunday at... Two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, kickoff is, uh, what, about 6.30 or so? So we've got lots of uh, pregame coverage and uh, every snap right up through the trophy presentation right here on 1330 WFIN 95.5 FM. Of course, Super Bowl Sunday is typically a big night for bars and restaurants as fans gather to watch the big game. Obviously, this year is going to be very different knowing that this is just one more hardship piled on to an already devastating year for this industry, which is dominated, of course, by small independent local operators. Joining us this morning to talk more about an initiative to hopefully ease the blow a little bit is Emily Arsenault, director of Collective 1806, which is billed as the USA's flagship bartender engagement program. It is a site where those in the service industry can swap, short, swap stories, share cocktail recipes, just commiserate in general. And Emily, I guess if anyone would know just how difficult this year has been for bartenders and servers, talk a, a little bit about some of the hardships that the industry and those who depend on it have endured it.
5: Absolutely. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about such an important topic. And look, it's not just bartenders and servers. It's busboys bus, and wine and cooks and GMs. I mean, it's everybody. It's the vendors supplying these restaurants. I mean, this is a, a very difficult year. That's an understatement. And we have a, a long road of recovery ahead um since last march more than one in six restaurants have actually shut their doors and we still have up to 85 percent of local bars and restaurants risking permanent closure so as you said it is it's dire out there and so we appreciate everyone's support
0: as we said so many of these bars and restaurants are local establishments so the people who are hurting are your friends your neighbors And so there is an initiative that you are a part of that is aiming to help with the big game coming up. Tell us about this.
5: Absolutely. So like you said, I mean, what makes these places amazing are the people that work in them, right? Uh, They create this environment uh, curated just for us, their guests. You know, this is where life happens, first dates, you know, Uh, breakups, you name it. Quantra is lending its microphone this year um, to raise awareness to the industry um, for our first big game campaign ever, actually, uh, in partnership with the Independent Restaurant Coalition. We have a campaign called Love Letter, and it's where we encourage people to express their gratitude for their favorite places on social media. It's a testament to um, our love for the industry, and I'm really looking forward to seeing people what they come up with. I mean, if you can get takeout, great. If you can buy merch, great. Gift cards, wonderful, but some people can't physically. Um, Contribute, so this is their way of showing that emotional support.
0: So how do we participate in all of this?
5: Yeah, so you can go to Quantro, C-O-I-N-T-R-E-A-U, Quantro.com slash save restaurants to learn more, to write your own love letter. To find a great margarita recipe prepared by yours truly, and all those things of the <laughs> and you can
0: donate if you have the means. Yeah, that that's the the key. If you can, uh, you know, uh, donate, share the wealth. Uh, as you were saying, you know, this weekend with the uh, game coming up, you can uh, if you can order uh, takeout or delivery. That would be great. Anything that we can do uh, to uh, sort of uh, ease the pain a little bit, every little bit helps. And like we said, this is going to be just another uh, weekend where you know it would be a a huge uh, weekend for bars and restaurants and it's not going to be there this year now meanwhile and since you brought it up I have to ask since so many people will be celebrating at home in smaller groups do you have any uh, tips on uh, making the perfect party drink for the big game
5: Heck, yes, I do. Are you kidding? <laughs> it's the original margarita. <laughs> it's a simple sour. Honestly, anyone um, you know can handle this recipe. I'm empowering you with the confidence that you can do it. So it is two parts Blanco tequila, a light, bright tequila. One part Cointreau, the iconic French liqueur, orange liqueur that gives it that zesty citrus flavor that we love about margaritas. Mm-hmm. And one part fresh lime juice. The key is fresh. Cannot be any... Store-bought bottled pasteurized, nothing, nothing. Not even from from some fancy grocery store. It needs to be fresh squeezed lime. You can do it. So two, one, one, two tequila, one cointreau, one lime. Shake it all up in a little shaker. Uh, or make mason Dark you got it, you know, and pour it over ice. And honestly, I think your corn team will be impressed
0: for sure. <laughs> there you go. Uh, again, uh, Emily Arsenault is director of Collective 1806, uh, part of this uh, initiative to send a big shout out and hopefully maybe even raise a, a little bit of money to help support local bars and restaurants who have had such a devastating year, especially with such a big weekend coming up. And uh, mention again, Emily, where we get more information.
5: You can go to com slash restaurants to learn more and write your own love letter.
0: We will link up to it on our webpage. Emily, thanks very much. We appreciate it.
5: Thank you. I appreciate it, too.
0: So today's everyday agriculture segment addressing climate change is a top priority of the Biden administration, as we know, and the USDA's nationwide network of research facilities is critical to further understanding of the issue, especially within the agriculture sector. USDA contributor Stephanie Ho reports today's everyday agriculture.
3: As the U.S. government gears up to combat climate change, USDA's Agricultural Research Service is ready to do its part.
6: We have a very important role for climate science in the country, and I would say globally. ARS has been a leader in climate science. Each year we publish around 500 papers in the area of climate science. Our scientists are very, very active in this area, and we play a role in supplying science-based information to our producers and farmers across the country.
3: That was ARS Administrator Shavana Jacobs-Young, who says USDA has a network of of climate research facilities across the country. ARS has
6: 18 long-term agroecosystem research network sites that are critically important for us to do trials on the management practices and the techniques that we are deploying. So we get a chance to test those first before they are delivered to our producers.
3: Besides a nationwide network of long-term agroecosystem research sites, USDA's Agricultural Research Service also helps run 10 climate hubs. The
6: entity that has been strategically located in a part of the United States. And so they're in different regions of the United States. The offices are either led by ARS or the Forest Service. And the 10 Climate Hubs are really, really important for helping to collect that information and to package it, and in some cases, translate it into information that people can use, not only producers, but consumers as well.
3: Again, that was ARS Administrator Shavonda Jacobs-Young. She adds that between these two networks, the Long-Term Agroecosystem Research Sites and Climate Hubs,
6: We feel that we have a wonderfully important infrastructure for the United States in terms of our ability to respond to climate variability.
3: One of USDA's advantages is not only its wide diversity of scientists within the agency, but also experts at land-grant universities. We're
6: able to take a systems approach to a lot of the climate questions and climate challenges that we face. And so we can look at the genetics, the environment, the management. And because of tools like artificial intelligence and machine learning, we can now take these huge data sets and bring them together to really help us develop the decisions tools.
3: She especially points to how modern technology has been helpful. In some cases, we have data
6: back 100 years, you know, and a lot of this data was never developed to talk to one another. And so now when you have tools like machine learning and artificial intelligence, they can bring data sets together to help us answer some key questions, and in some cases, reveal some questions.
3: Independent of USDA, the agricultural community came together last year to recognize the importance of climate change.
2: To be honest, we didn't know whether we would ultimately an agreement. For me, I knew it was important for us to have policies that respected our farmers, among other priorities. And I'm pleased to report that these recommendations do just that.
3: That was American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duval, who spoke in November at the announcement of a new Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance.
2: We united around three principles, supporting volunteer market and incentive-based policies, advancing science-based outcomes, and to promote resilience to help rural economies better adapt to climate change.
3: The alliance, which is co-chaired by the American Farm Bureau Federation, the Environmental Defense Fund, the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, and the National Farmers Union, made more than 40 recommendations.
2: We are proud to have broken through historical barriers to form a unique alliance. We recognize that our collective voices are stronger than our individual voice.
3: Meanwhile, back to the USDA climate hubs, which are aimed at fostering appreciation for climate science in the larger American population.
6: One of the important roles of the climate hub, you know, from my perspective, is we're helping train the future climate scientists. So we have postdocs in those laboratories, in those hubs. And so NIFA, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, is involved, NRCS is involved, the Forest
3: Service, ARS, and of course, all of our land grant partners that we work with. An important factor that climate hubs take into consideration is the power of human psychology. If we
6: release information on a technology or practice, for example, no-till. So if we've done research and we talked about the benefits of no-till and we disseminated that out, you know,
3: how do you encourage people to adopt the practice? And how do you understand if they didn't, why? She says one not-so-secret ingredient is input from social scientists who can offer perspective on why people do or do not adopt new technologies or practices.
6: They bring together scientists from different backgrounds and I would say outreach agents from different backgrounds and so together being able to link the laboratory to the people.
3: More information on the USDA Climate Hubs can be found online at climatehubs, one word, governor i I'm Stephanie Ho for the US Department of Agriculture in Washington DC.
4: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: Today's report on the odd and unusual side of the news is brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Who knew that U-Haul trucks can go this fast? Police from two departments in Colorado were involved in a high-speed chase after a man failed to stop his U-Haul truck on Highway 35 and almost struck an officer in the process. Colorado State Patrol says 63-year-old Stuart Kelly led them on a chase on Highway 52 into Morgan County. They finally had to use stop sticks to try and stop him, all in a U-Haul truck. Uh, He continued, even after hitting the stop sticks, he uh, kept on going. At some point, the truck left the roadway and drove through an old farmhouse and then continued beyond that for another 200 yards or so. Once the truck did come to a stop, Mr. Kelly was taken into custody after being taken to a local hospital uh, for treatment of injuries sustained in the crash. He's going to be fine, but he does face multiple charges, including felony eluding and driving under the influence. Who couldn't have guessed that was coming? But my goodness, in a U-Haul truck drove straight through a farmhouse and kept on going. Crazy. Speaking of uh, trucks and accidents, uh, this in uh, Illinois, a box truck recently crashed into a historic bridge with a low clearance. Um, witnesses say they saw the truck approaching the bridge on the Robert Parker Coffin Road in Long Grove, Illinois, and it was pretty obvious everybody could see this coming. It was going to collide with the with the bridge, but nonetheless, the driver oblivious to the impending doom. Just drove right into it. What is amazing about this? One of the witnesses even caught the accident on video. Uh, the Lake County Sheriff's Office says that Monday's crash did not cause any serious damage to the structure. But what is really interesting about this? It is the 14th such incident just since uh, 20 uh, just since 2020, just since last year. 14 in the past year, and. That was just since the bridge was opened, reopened, following repairs from previous incidents. So they just opened the bridge last year after repairing it because it had been hit so many times. And it's already been hit 14 more times. I don't know, but I think, I think I'd think i be considering replacing the bridge. Maybe lifting it up a bit. That's crazy. <clears> hmm. <throat> Elsewhere in the broken news. And here's the thing they say that the, the bridge has not uh, sustained any serious structural damage from any of the 14 hits that it's taken since it reopened. But would you want to drive over the bridge? I mean, honestly, would you trust it? I don't know. This had to be a rude awakening. Police in Pennsylvania say a woman from Altoona is accused of barging into a home in Frankstown Township and striking two people who were in bed. They're just laying there in bed, sleeping, not bothering anybody, and she comes in and starts pounding on them, wailing away. Ashley Avery allegedly beat on the front door of the home uh, before she walked in Monday morning and started striking the two people in bed. She was eventually pushed out of the home by the victims, but then once she was outsh- outside, she walked around the back of the house and broke a window of a bedroom where a seven-year-old child was sleeping, apparently to try and get back in. Now, when Ms. Avery learned that the police had been called, she jumped into her car and drove away. Police did caught, uh, catch up with her. She is uh, facing a preliminary preliminary hearing on several charges next week. Still, no word on why she did that. What her motive might have been. <laughs> apparently, they'd done her wrong somehow. That is a rude awakening, to be sure. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is a, just a jaw-dropping story here. Alex Archbold owns a store in Canada uh, where he buys and sells antiques. He recently purchased the contents of a home that had belonged to a music teacher Apparently she had uh, passed away, he or she, I don't know the music teacher's uh, gender, but anyway, the owner of the home had uh, passed away, so he bought up uh, the home and uh, all of the contents. He was shocked to learn that Betty Jean Rock, well, so I guess it is a uh, woman, That's, anyway, uh, Betty Jean Rock had been a hoarder, is what he found out when he got into the home, which, I mean, you think, oh my goodness, what am I getting myself into? But uh, he apparently uh, had had purchased uh, the the home and the contents of the home because he knew that there was a grand piano. That's what he really wanted. But uh, he suddenly discovered that she was a a hoarder. But what you might think would be, oh my goodness, what a chore this is going to be to clean out the house. Uh, He noticed that some rooms of the home were filled with containers stacked to the ceiling, some containing designer clothes, In other rooms, he says he found silver dollars, wallets full of cash, and bags that contained gold and diamond rings. He says, and now there there was plenty of trash he had to clean out, but he actually did pretty well for his troubles. He said of the $10,000 he spent purchasing the contents of the home, he has since earned about $400,000 auctioning all of the stuff off. $400,000. It'd be worth all the trouble of uh, going through all of our hoarded uh, stuff over the years for that. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. It is a service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming.
1: Sunday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs square off in Super Bowl 55. Hi, this is Scott Graham. Join me and the rest of our Westwood One crew for all the action. Will Bucs quarterback Tom Brady win an unprecedented 7th Super Bowl ring, or will the Chiefs and QB Patrick Mahomes become the first team to win back-to-back titles since Brady and the Patriots 17 years ago? If it's Super Bowl 55, it's right here. Sunday afternoon at 2, 1330
4: WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: Your daily download this morning, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Just as a further proof of how uh, all of this uh, has uh, impacted uh, our lives, uh, apparently Google says that uh, searches about insomnia are at an all-time high these days. In the last week alone, the search giant says uh, that some of the top questions... Uh, included phrases such as, how do you fall asleep fast, and why can't I fall asleep? of the top searches on Google is really beginning to take its toll. And it's, uh, and even for those who do get shut-eye, the problem is, we're having strange dreams. Uh, one of the top search phrases, what does it mean when I dream about dot, dot, dot? People are wondering what their dreams mean, because they have been having weird dreams. For me... I know my uh, my dreams uh, often. I've been I've been falling, falling off a cliff or falling from a from a tall building. And experts say that that is a very common theme uh, in dreams, and it indicates uh, insecurity or an anxiety of some sort. They say you are probably feeling overwhelmed and out of control in some situation in your life. And I'm thinking, Yeah, that pretty much covers it. I think for all of us, right? <laughs> oh, that- That pretty much nails it. As we mentioned, the annual Cancer Patient Services Chili Cook-Off has gone virtual this year. But the competition is still as hot as ever. No pun intended. Actually, there was a pun intended there. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. Uh, Carol Metzger is here, uh, along with Mackenzie Wagner. Cancer Patient Services... This whole thing has got to have been, before we talk about the uh, Chili Cook-Off specifically, this whole thing has got to have been such a challenge for cancer patient services uh, in in particular. I mean, it has been for everyone, but especially given the clientele that that you deal with. Right.
7: We closed, um, I think it was like March 13th, like, you know, one of the first offices because of our clientele. right? And, you know, then we had to figure out. And, you know, I hats off to my staff. They're amazing. They, You know, by that next Monday, we had it figured out. And what we've been doing is delivering to clients' homes. And to be honest, we probably should have been doing it all along. This is one of, like, that silver lining that you find, mm-hmm. you know, because of uh, the pandemic. Right. So it's worked out great. You know, they don't feel good anyway, so why not take it to their porch? Right. So you don't want to expose them yeah, so uh, to this. Yeah, so that's actually and... worked out well. So we have... Uh, each staff member has a different day that they're out delivering, so mm-hmm. I need to get them like something on the side of their car. <laughs> well,
0: they're <laughs> out know. on deliveries. But uh, the uh, work of Cancer Patient Services obviously continues, Absolutely. and this yep. historically has been your big fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Yes,
7: in the year. yep, it's our signature event.
0: Now, last year, I, I know this uh, came up right at the uh, beginning. We, we, of we were lucky; we got the this.
7: event off. so yeah. we were one of the few that were able to have one of event. the
0: last big events yes. before. Mm-hmm everything kind yep. of uh hit the fan right. as it were but this year i i know this is not the way that you were hoping to celebrate your 25th anniversary really? of the right. event yeah
7: and i think you know it's tough you know it's another i guess casualty of the pandemic but you know like everybody else we're we're resilient we want to bounce back and we couldn't ignore the 25th anniversary so right. you know, it was like okay how do we you know still honor the the event and uh you know uh raise funds as well so it's it was a little tough how do you do how do you re-think, yeah how do you <laughs>
0: rethink this event some things can be done virtually yeah. but uh this is uh, obviously going to be uh, much different than it has been in the past so tell us a little bit about the uh, event and how it will work this year.
6: Sure.
7: So, you know, we're um, super grateful. We had a lot of our sponsors come back. Um, This year, again, uh, Hancock Federal Credit Union and Blanchard Valley Health System are our presenting sponsors. They've been for multiple years now, great partners. Uh, So this year, uh, teams can sign up, um, and they're going to have their own chili cook-off. So they can do it, you know, in their home, in their office, you know, whatever works for them. And then the awards that we're uh, doing this year, we're continuing to do the most money raised by the team, um they're also doing best decorated office room in their house you know whatever <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> whatever all works right. and then the last one and this is where we really kind of struggled but we are doing best presentation so they're going to take a picture so the prettiest looking chili is going to be uh voted Fair on enough. and and uh will
0: award awards for that so uh and and what are you doing uh to kind of facilitate uh, all of this
1: so basically, we are just keeping in contact with all of our teams, which we are still looking for more. So it's not too late. If you or your family or your organization still want to participate, you can go to our website at cancerpatientservices.org. Under events, the Chili Cook Off, all of our information there, registration, everything is there for you. As well as this year, we are still selling our infamous uh, raffle tickets. They are $10. All of our teams have physical tickets, as well as some of our board members but you can also find them online um, under the same tab at cancerpatientservices.com or er, .org and under the events chili cook off you can find a little button there to buy your Raffle tickets.
0: So that is still uh, a big part, and, and yes. again, kudos to uh, everybody who uh, donates the prizes and yes. and all of that because that becomes a, a big part of it this. It is. As well.
7: It is huge, and we, we appreciate it. We we live in a great community, and people you know understand that you know we still need to do fundraisers, and you know we need funds to, to help our clients. So
0: so you're uh, presenting the awards. You mentioned the uh, most money mm-hmm. uh, raised, the uh, best uh, chili cook-off theme, uh-huh. uh, and then the best presentation again visually right, obviously right. and then there is the spirit award tell us about this
7: the the spirit award is actually the most funds raised that's oh okay that's what All that right. one is so that yeah. one is uh, actually
0: yeah. named the spirit award yeah. okay so i was uh, looking, at the, uh, looking at that uh looking at that uh differently there and and uh you mentioned that Folks, can still sign up. When is the uh, deadline? Is there a specific date uh, that all of this judging happens, and and so on?
7: Sure. So we're it's going the whole entire month of February. So, like McKenzie okay. said, it's not too late to sign up. Um, we are going to be um, awarding our uh, plaques. The, uh, March 1st. So, you know, teams still have time to uh, get in and uh, register and, you know, um, start participating. A lot of what we're doing this year is, you know, going to be on social media, you know, watch our sure. Facebook page. Um, one of the contests that we're going to do is um, to find whoever has the oldest chili cook-off t-shirt. So that's somebody that's <laughs> held on their t shirt since the late 90s, but we're not judging. we'll <laughs> give them a prize. We'll give them a new t shirt. Maybe so. it's stuck
0: in the back of the drawer exactly. somewhere. No Who judging. Knows. <laughs>
7: um, it, it,
0: this, like we said, the 25th anniversary, pretty amazing uh, where this has come since its uh, very humble beginnings. Because right. i got to remember the early years uh, doing this What the at Finley High School. They did. We went
7: digging so, through uh, pictures and things um, because of it being the 25th. And yes, it started at Finley High School, I believe during halftime of a basketball yeah, game. And yeah. it was, I think, the police department, the fire department, and then a team of doctors. And that was it. It was just the was three of much them. It so, Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and uh, this has grown to be as we said the biggest uh, fundraiser uh, of the year and hopefully next year will be out uh, yeah. uh, back at uh, i know it's been held at the Kayler center yes, in the past yes. so hopefully uh, back there or you know some big huge place where we can invite everybody in right. now when when people i did want to ask this because uh we were talking about uh, people still submitting their chili for a uh, consideration do they have to provide recipes uh for this we don't they can okay. keep them secret well because here's what i'm thinking uh, if you if you do want to provide the, the recipes, people could make these at their home. They can have their own chili cook-off at home. If you are so inclined to make like 25 different chilies <laughs> that would, uh, yeah. and, and do your own taste test, you could do that. You could. right? Yeah, so we'll have to
7: ask them. Some if, of them are pretty, you know, hold their recipes close so to
0: them. I understand but, that. But yeah, ones that. that are willing but to
7: share, that, that would be fun. <laughs> And Not required, is, though. February is a great month for chili. I just made a huge pot uh, this past weekend, Absolutely. and I live by myself. I think I made it's, three gallons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like 17 degrees right, right now, yeah. so this comes at a perfect time. Exactly. The uh, Cancer Patient so, uh, Services Chili Cook-Off, uh, 25th anniversary. Again, it's happening virtually this year, and you have all of the information on your website on this, right? Correct. Uh, we've got it linked up at our webpage, so folks can uh, learn more. And again... It, I'll, I'll mention this. Uh, don't forget, too, uh, that even if you are not participating in the chili part of it, you do have the uh, raffles and, yes, and so yes. on. So some great prizes there, too. We've got a linked up. More information at goodmornings.net. And again, Carol Metzger and Mackenzie Wagner. Cancer Patient Services, thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank appreciate it. you. Thanks. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program today. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. You can also connect with us on social media. Shoot us an email if there's something you want to share directly. Sign up for our daily email newsletter so you always know what is happening with the program. Each afternoon before the show, we shoot you an advanced copy of the rundown so you know what we're going to be talking about, who we're going to be talking to, and when. It is absolutely free. It's easy to sign up, easy to opt out if you decide later, and we will not share your information with anyone else, so I promise you that. Uh, No risk at all. Uh, You can get more details, again, at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, how has the now year-long pandemic we've lived through impacted America's priorities and our outlook on the future? New research suggests that we are more mindful of the things that really matter. We'll get into that. It is really interesting. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. And now that you've had a good morning... Go on out and make it a good day, and we will catch you back here tomorrow.